Malta was once a hidden gem in the Mediterranean, but now it's being discovered more and more by North Americans. And that means it's diverse and offers something for everyone. You can scuba dive to explore sunken ships, eat traditional Maltese foods like pastizzi, a flaky pastry filled with ricotta cheese, visit one of three UNESCO World Heritage Sites, and so much more. Plus, Malta gets more than 300 days of sunshine, so it's a year-round destination. Get inspired and plan your trip today at visitmalta.com. Are you looking for an off-the-beaten-path island destination in the Mediterranean? I highly recommend Malta, an archipelago with 8,000 years of history. It's home to three UNESCO World Heritage Sites, including Valletta, Malta's capital. Malta also has the oldest freestanding stone architecture in the world, showcasing one of the British Empire's most formidable defense systems. If you travel for history, Malta has an impressive mix of domestic, religious, and military structures from the ancient, medieval, and early modern periods. It's also rich in culture. You'll find events and festivals all year round, plus beautiful beaches, a thriving nightlife, and a trendy gastronomical scene with seven Michelin-starred restaurants. Plan your trip today at visitmalta.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to Travel Tales, a podcast from Afar Media. I'm your host, Senior Editor Aislinn Green, and for the past six years, I've had the pleasure of working with some of the most creative and interesting people in the world. Comedians, philosophers, novelists, they've all shared their stories with Afar's readers about getting out into the world and just reveling in it. And now, each week on Travel Tales, we'll hear from some of our favorite contributors about a trip that changed their life. In this episode, we'll hear from Francis Lamb, an award-winning food writer and host of NPR's Splendid Table. Francis is also great friends with a San Francisco chef named Azalina Yusup. Azalina makes the city's best Malaysian food, no joke. Dishes like spicy laksa soup and sweet banana fritters, but they all have this special California touch. A few years ago, Azalina's father passed away, and so Frances traveled with her on her first trip home to Malaysia in more than a decade. It was a bittersweet homecoming, to say the least. One time, my friend Azalina Yusop casually mentioned to me that she grew up with a pet orangutan. Another time, she told me that her grandmother was 106 years old. But the first time Azalina said something to me that I really had a hard time believing, it was about the dress code at her brother's wedding. See, Azalina is mamak, which is a term for a community of Indian Muslim Malaysians. And in mamak culture, guests show up at a wedding all wearing the special color chosen for that wedding. And... When I say guests, I mean, you know, the happy couple's friends, their family, their neighbors, their neighbors' friends, their neighbors' friends' families, until Azalina's brother was kissing the hands of 10,000 people. And I just imagine, right, it was like a scene in a movie where, you know, the ragtag heroes are sitting there and suddenly there's an eagle scream, and they all look up, and suddenly the whole horizon is a sea of people in yellow. Only instead of an invading army, 
is just a lot of really hungry wedding guests. Now the family is just trying to fry as many fish as humanly possible. Oh, they don't all come at once, she said. The wedding lasts a week. Oh, okay, cool, I got it. So I'm doing the math, and that still means you're still feeding 1,500 people a day for a week. And that was my introduction to Azlina's culture. You know, I always felt like I could hear this love in her voice when she told me these stories. But what I didn't know quite yet was how complicated that love was. See, she also described the mamak to me as basically being at the bottom of Malaysian society. They're the people who sell street food. And Azalina comes from four generations of street vendors. She promised herself she would never be the fifth. And in the mornings as a child, even though her parents had given her to be raised by her grandparents because they couldn't support a girl, she would visit with her father as he shopped in the market for his noodle stall before going to school. And she studied, and she got good grades, and she got into college. So she went around to her family, to all her aunts and uncles, and asked if they would give her some money to pay for her first year, figuring maybe she'd go there, do well, and get financial aid for the second. And she'd be the first person in her family to go to college. No one helped. Either they didn't believe in her, or they didn't believe in the system. But either way, they broke her heart. And so she said, the hell with this place. And at 16 years old, she left Malaysia. She went to Singapore. She got a job at a hotel, met an American, fell in love, married him, moved to San Francisco where he had a nice job and they had two kids. She worked on her English by watching sitcoms and the Jerry Springer show and probably wondered where the hell she was. But her life was stable, right, for the first time. And she was financially comfortable. But she eventually realized that she was miserable. She was lonely. She's at home all day with no one but her toddlers to talk to. And when she went out, people would look at her kids and ask her if she was their nanny. So one day she went out and she bought pods of star anise. And she started cooking back at home. She made curries that, you know, honestly, she didn't even love eating that much when she was a kid. But now the taste of them reminded her of Penang. They reminded her of climbing the trees at her family's spice farm. She started remembering the noodles her father cooked and the markets he would take her to. And she remembered all these things she cooked. And she started to fall back in love with where she came from, as complicated as it was growing up there. Then, one day, she and her husband split up. And suddenly she was desperate and afraid. How was she going to support herself? How was she going to raise her kids? So Azalina went and got her spices. And she made a pot of curry. She drove to a farmer's market. And she became the street vendor she promised herself she would never be. That was 10 years ago. Azalina has two restaurants now. Her ex-husband helps run them. She's cooked for Barack Obama and the Prime Minister of Malaysia. But even when she was still a street vendor, she began to understand that what she was doing meant more than just making a living. And that she was remaking her past with her laksa. Literally, she was remaking it into a vegan soup. 
but she was also remaking her connection to the place that told her that selling food on the street was the only thing she was good for. But now, now she's doing it on her terms. And she started to make her own mark on these dishes. And what she was doing was both preserving her culture and insisting that she has the power to make her own story with it. A few years into having her business, her father died. And this really shook her. Her business was still so fragile, she didn't think she could leave it, so she sent her kids to the funeral in her place. And she sent money, and she hoped it would help. And then one day, a few years later, she told me that she thought it was time for her to see Penang again. She hadn't been back since she started cooking, and she'd heard things were changing. That street vendors were being booted to make way for shopping malls, her uncles were basically giving it up and becoming Uber drivers, and she wanted to remember what it was like to talk to her 106-year-old grandmother and to write down the story of her people so that it wouldn't be forgotten. And she invited me to come with her. Azalina arrived in Malaysia a few days before I did. And when she picked me up from the airport, as soon as I walked out of the airport, I smelled this sweet smell in the air. It was smoky and fruity and rich. Coconut husks, she told me. She waved her hand towards the hills where the sun was setting. People in the villages burned them to keep the mosquitoes away. And I was like, It's amazing, I said. Well, I'm glad you think it's amazing, she said to me. The next few days, we went on Ozelina's, like food and family memory tour. We were visiting you know, vendors she loved and farmers. And at one point, Ozelina spotted some tables of fish drying in the sun. And she pulled the car over, and the shopkeeper took us around back, where he and his wife make these salted dried fish by you know, showering fish with salt in these massive primary colored tubs like the size of like little kiddie pools i felt like i was like in an episode of sesame street you know in an alternate universe and it's like it's like oh yeah the fish salt is a person in your neighborhood that's a person you'll meet each day you know this couple was 90 years old they've been doing this their whole lives but as they talked they told us that their kids and their grandkids want nothing to do with this and as we left, Ozelina said that, you know, seeing these people do what they do makes my heart bloom. That was the phrase she used. But that it made her so sad to know these things are going away. We kind of continued like that for a few days. But at some point, I realized that it wasn't just the slow roll of time that was making her sad. And one night after dinner with her family, we went out for some street food for a little snack and she sat there, just kind of glumly picking at her fish cakes. And then we talked. And she told me that she had felt so guilty about not coming home for her father's funeral. And that, you know, she tells everyone and she tells herself that she chalked it up at the time to her work. But she admitted that really it was because she just knew she couldn't handle it emotionally. She'd always felt like a bad daughter for even leaving in the first place. And it turns out 
Her family agrees with that. You know, when I went with her to meet her grandmother, you know, the grandmother whose stories she wanted so desperately to save, well, she was still so mad at Azalina that she would barely even look at her. I sat on the couch and watched Aza sit on the floor at her grandmother's knee being ignored, and I, I felt so gross for having my notebook with me and feeling like, oh, I should be writing the details of this down, and I have never wanted to get the hell out of a story that I was supposed to be writing so bad in my entire life. And I realized, you know, it's always hard to leave the place you call home. But in that moment, I think I understood that sometimes it's so much harder to come back. Another night, Azalina's auntie and uncle took us to dinner at a restaurant. And one of the dishes was a tripe salad. And Azalina took a bite and then another. And I could see her getting excited. She smiled and she kind of was like looking in the distance. I could see her brain was working. And then she said, you know, I, I think I would skip the tomatoes and I would add some roasted peanuts and some ginger buds and like a lot of herbs. And I could see her imagining the taste of this new dish as she spoke. And listening to her describe this creation, I realized that you know, back in San Francisco, Azalina may be cooking food that reminds her of her past, but her food is of her present. It's a product of her imagination and of the memories she chooses, not the memories she's saddled with. And if, you know, the cliche holds that cooking is love, then some part of it must be about showing yourself love, right? Showing love for the story about yourself that you want to tell. On the morning that I left, it was so early, it was still dark, Azalina took me to the market that her father used to take her to, you know, to go shopping for his noodle stall. Her uncle Hamid came as well, and he is very serious about practicing the halal diet rules of Islam. And as we walked by a few butcher stalls with pigs about to become pork chops, it was definitely killing his vibe. But Azalina looked up for a second and pulled my arm. A Chinese donut vendor... This guy was still there. This is the same guy that her father would buy treats from for her. I watched him. He was kneading dough and slipping into boiling oil. And I watched the fritters pile up under a string of lights. And I offered to buy one for Azalina. She smiled at me and she got excited. But then she took a look at her uncle. And he was clenching his teeth. He was like quietly freaking out about how totally not okay this place was. And she decided as she didn't want to upset him. And so we just left. And as we were walking back to the car, Azalina slowed her step. And then she turned to me and said, Oh, it's okay, Francis. I'm going to come back for it later. That was Francis Lamb. Francis has cooked dinner for 113 out of the last 115 nights, so yeah, he's ready for some street food. As for Azalina, she recently opened her second restaurant, Mejila. Right now, she's offering takeout and working on her first cookbook. If you're in the Bay Area, let her team make you dinner tomorrow. You'll be glad you did. Ready for more travel stories? Visit us online at afar.com slash travel tales. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. 
If you enjoyed today's adventure, we hope you'll come back next week for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And please be sure to rate and review us. It helps other travelers find the show. This has been Travel Tales, a production of Afar Media and Boom Integrated. Our podcast was produced by Aislinn Green, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. Post-production was by John Marshall Media staff Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Music composition by Alan Kresha. And a special thanks to Laura Redmond, Sarah Storm, and Irene Wang. I'm Aislinn Green, your zoomed-out, under-traveled host. I can't wait to hit the road again. Until we all freely can, remember that travel begins the moment we walk out our front door. Everyone has a travel tale. What's yours? Thank you.